Thanks, Brendan. Well, great to be here this morning. See you all again. Um, at home, I've got a silver butter knife. Used to be very nice until I discovered a different use for it because we've got two little tiled decks outside and they are the designated target practice areas for all the birds in West Auckland. And that, some of that bird poo sticks on like paint and that butter knife is the perfect tool for scraping it off. Just as well that it's only a butter knife and it can't argue back and it doesn't know that it's been demoted like that. So I'll just read um, a few verses from 2 Timothy 16 and verse 19, but I'm reading, reading first of all from the Living Bible. Paul's giving Timothy some good advice and he says, steer clear of foolish discussions which lead people into the sin of anger with each other. Hymenaeus and Philetus in their love of argument are men like that. They've left the path of truth, preaching the lie that the resurrection of the dead has already occurred, and they have weakened the faith of some who believe them. So these two men were false prophets, false teachers rather. But God's truth stands firm. It is a foundation stone with these words written on it, the Lord knows those who are really his. And then in verse 20, and I'll read this one from the King James. In a great house, there are not only vessels of gold and of silver, but also of wood and of earth, some to honor and some to dishonor. And the great house or the large house that Paul is talking about here is the church. And the vessels in that house are all of us, the people in the church. And one thing we see is that it takes all kind of people to make a church. As long as the church is in the world and as long as it's made up of human beings, it's always going to include a cross-section of humanity. And we also see that the vessels in the house or the people have a purpose. Everything is created for a purpose, including each one of us. Ephesians 2 and verse 10, for we are God's workmanship, created in Christ Jesus to do good works, which God prepared in advance for us to do. So we all know right now, a chair is made to sit on, a keyboard is made to play music on, and we are made to do a useful work for God. And you know, this is not just something that works for God, this is good for us, because we, we see even in Genesis chapter one that God finds fulfillment in his work. When he was um, creating at every stage of crea creation, he looked at his work and he saw that it was good and he was satisfied. And we're made in the image of God, so just like him, we've got the capacity to work and the capacity to find fulfillment in what we do. And most of us, most people, want to be productive. We want to be all that we can be, and we want our lives to count. And so I'm just gonna look at how we can help that along. So the first key to being useful, and something that we've just read about, is to choose to be a vessel of honor. And this is probably the biggest one. 
So Paul goes on from where we've read in verse 21, if a man cleanses himself from the latter, that's these false teachers or vessels of dishonor, vessels for ignoble purposes, he will be an instrument for noble purposes or a vessel of honor, made holy, useful to the master and prepared to do any good work. Now, of course, in a natural house, the householder decides how each article is going to be used, and that's where my silver butter knife comes in. It was created for a noble purpose of gracing the table to impress guests, but instead it's being used as a pooper scooper, <laughs> which is an ignoble purpose. But that butter knife has no choice, no choice at all. But in God's household, things are a bit different. Now, Paul tells Timothy that we must cleanse ourselves from anything that is not honorable or not noble. And we've also got to steer clear of these dishonorable or ignoble vessels. And then we can be a vessel that is useful to the master. Now, in the church, of course, the vessels are human beings. So we, we have a choice, you know, we have a free will. And this is really the big one. Will we be a vessel of honor or will we be a vessel of dishonor? That's number one. And after that, we have choices. We don't really have a choice so much about what job we're going to do because God has made us for a certain purpose. But even whether we're going to do it or not, how far we're going to go, how useful we want to be, then yes, we have some choices. So what is a vessel of honor? Well, firstly, we need to understand that being a vessel of honor and a or a vessel of dishonor has got absolutely nothing to do with the kind of service or role or job that we do in the church. It is not about that at all. Now, I'm just so thankful that God hasn't got me in the car park. You probably are too but especially on freezing cold, wet days. You know, the, I think the car park teams really do the hard yards. But it's such a vital role. I mean, out here it could be chaos without our car park attendants. And as far as visitors go, the car park can be the point, can be right at that point where they decide if they're going to come back to Church Unlimited or not. And you've seen the news, that hashtag, doing something. We want to see what people are doing and, and celebrate it. So the car park team are out there doing it. And we're thankful for that. Now, last weekend was Labor Weekend. There was no children's church. Just look back to when it wasn't happening. And think about what a great job those teams do, week in and week out. And that is one of the really hard work ministries in the church in terms of preparation, and they're doing it. Security, creche, the choir, ushering, the info desk, sound desk, worship team, and just so many other areas of service. You know, they are all equal when it comes to being vessels of honor. They are all equal. And as they say, the pay's the same, but actually it is, you don't get paid. I'm talking about eternal rewards. If, if whatever we're doing, if we're diligent and faithful, 
in our area of service, the pay or the rewards are the same. The difference between a vessel of honour and a vessel of dishonour is not that one's got a more important job, it's not that one's a better Christian, one's a good Christian, one's not such a good Christian. You know, it's not that one is more mature, that one has more struggles or more faith or something like that. It is not about superior or inferior believers because every child of God is equally precious and every role or, or every job is important. The vessel of dishonor or the article that is only suitable for an ignoble purpose that Paul refers to here is the person who is not a Christian. They're not born again. The difference between honorable and dishonorable is that one is the real deal and one is a fake, like our false teachers. Now, how does that happen? Easy. We live in the world and mixture happens all the time. And I'm just gonna throw a little theology lesson in here. There is a distinction between what is called the visible church, which is the one that we see, and the invisible church, which is the one that only God sees. Now, invisible doesn't mean that we can't see any sign of it or that we can't see the people. What it means is that we can't fully see it as God does because we can't see into men's hearts like he can. As we saw in 2 Timothy verse 19, the Lord knows those who are his. At Church Unlimited, we are just so used to having an altar call for salvation after just about every service. But there are some churches where that opportunity is not given or hardly ever given. And there are even some churches where the way of salvation is not taught or hardly ever taught. And you know, that, that is really tragic because salvation is not automatic. You don't just pick it up by osmosis. And anyone who wants to become a Christian has to make a definite personal response to the truth of the gospel. Now, of course, people can and do get saved by reading the Bible, and that's fantastic, but not everybody reads the Bible. Jesus taught that within the church, there would always be people who thought they were Christians and seemed to others to be Christians, but who were not really born again and would be exposed and rejected at the judgment. And this comes out in the stories of the wheat and the tears, the parable of the dragnet, the parables of the wise and foolish virgins, the talents, and the wheat and the tears, oh, sorry, um, the sheep and the goats. And we see, um, especially in the one of the wheat and the tears, that we can't judge who's who. So we have to be really careful. That's important. Only God knows about that, and we've got to leave it to him to sort out at the end. So that's what the visible and the invisible distinction is about. Not that there are two churches, but within that visible community, there are fakes, and only God knows fully who they are. The vessels of dishonor that Paul is talking about and telling us to steer clear of, if we can, are churchgoers who are not true children of God, and they include the false teachers and the false prophets. So that's the difference between vessels of honor and vessels of dishonor. So most of us would well and truly be vessels of honor. 
So we're just going to go down that path now and look at how we can maximise our usefulness to God. So the second key of, to being useful is that we need to be handy. Anything you want to be useful, it's got to be handy. One Saturday morning I went shopping with a friend earlier this year and when we got to the shops it was fine and sunny and really nice. But when we came out of the supermarket, which was our last port of call, it was absolutely pouring with rain. Now I had two perfectly good umbrellas in the car. I put them in the car because I had seen the forecast and I knew that this was gonna happen, but because it was so nice when we got there, I left them in the car. They were both perfectly good umbrellas, but at that moment they were absolutely useless because they were not handy. Handy means nearby, close, and our usefulness to God is limited if we're not close. So what does it mean to be close to God? Well, it means that we love him, that we have a two-way relationship, that we spend time in his presence. Now, we know that on a human level, closeness is more than just physical proximity. It's also about having an intimate relationship. You know, a husband and wife can live under the same roof, but not necessarily be close. Closeness requires communication, and we communicate with God by talking to him and listening to him through prayer and through really engaging with the Bible. Being near to God takes effort in the same way that closeness in a marriage takes effort. It doesn't just happen. Jeremiah 30 and verse 21, I will bring him near and he will come close to me. For who is he who will devote himself to be close to me, declares the Lord. So we have to devote ourselves to being close to the Lord. John 15 and verse 5, I am the vine, you are the branches. He who abides in me and I in him bears much fruit, for without me you can do nothing. So abiding in the vine seems to me all about devotion. To abide means to remain in fellowship with Jesus in such a way that his life can flow through us and produce fruit. We even call our communication with God our devotional life. And you know, just think about being a devoted son or daughter, that kind of relationship involves obedience. So in a nutshell, Abiding is doing anything that we can to stay in vital connection with Jesus and not letting anything come between us. And this is so important because we can't be fruitful or useful if we're not really abiding. John Maxwell tells this story about a psychologist who was trying to show that people want to be productive. And as part of his research, he hired a logger, and that's a person who chops down trees or chops up trees that have been chopped down. And he hired this logger, and he said to him, I want you to just um, chop a tree or just chop at this tree with the blunt end, turn the axe around and do it with the blunt side of the axe, and I'm going to pay you twice, double, what you normally earn just to chop all day with the blunt side of the axe, pound on this log, just as though you were chopping, you know, really doing it, but just use the blunt side of the axe. And so for double his normal wages, the logger started hitting the log with the blunt edge of the axe. 
He worked at it for half a day and then he quit. And of course the researcher wanted to know why because this is what the experiment was about. And the logger said to him, because every time I move an axe, I want to see the chips fly. This is no fun. Why? Because we want to be useful. We want to see the chips fly. We want to feel like something's happening. We're being productive. We're being fruitful. So, yeah, we want to see something happening there. Another key to being handy or to being close, which I've mentioned, is to keep our lives clean. James 4 and verse 8, Come near to God and he will come near to you. Wash your hands, you sinners, and purify your hearts, you double-minded. So wash your hands, that's talking about our outward behavior. Purify your hearts is the inside job, our thoughts and our motives. And the double-minded man is the one who has divided his allegiance, usually between God and the world. So to get near to God requires his cleansing. And we're looking at vessels of honor now. We, we all know that even born-again Christians can have ongoing issues, learning to deal with sin and addictions, and we have to keep cleansing ourselves and learn how to resist temptation and you know, overcome these things. Takes a long time. First John 1 and verse 9, and this was written to Christians. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just and will forgive us our sins and purify us from all unrighteousness. So we need to keep short accounts with God so that we can be clean and useful. Now, it doesn't make sense that a person who's living in a moral life can help some, to, someone else to stop living in a moral life. I mean, even if their immorality is the best kept secret in the world, it's not gonna work because they will lack the power to help or the authority to back up their words. Now, of course, it happens, but it's not really gonna work. The Bible tells us how senseless it is for an unclean person to try and help correct someone else in that. In Matthew 7, verse three to five, why do you look at the speck of sawdust in your brother's eye and pay no attention to the plank in your own eye? How can you say to your brother, let me take the speck out of your eye when all the time there's a plank in your own eye? You hypocrite, first take the plank out of your own eye and then you will see clearly to remove the speck from your brother's eye. Now, when James says purify your hearts, he's not saying that we've got the power to deal with our own sin or to cleanse our own lives because we know we can't do that. He means that we've got the responsibility to use the cleansing that God provides. You know, say we put our rubbish out one day and then someone's dog came along and ripped it open and just left this great, big, horrible, stinky mess all over our berm. And so we go out and clean it all up with our bare hands. Well, then we would go inside and, you know, we'd get the, the tap going and, and we would um, we get hot water, soap, a nail brush, and we would scrub and clean and rinse and dry our hands, get them clean, and, we could, and then we'd go and make ourselves a well-deserved cup of coffee. And we would say, I've cleaned my hands. Well, yes, we did. But if we didn't have the water and the soap and the nail brush, it wouldn't happen. And so our part was to apply the cleaning agents 
And that's even more the case when it comes to cleansing our hearts. Hebrews 9 verse 22, the law requires that nearly everything be cleansed with blood and without the shedding of blood, there is no forgiveness. God gives us the means, the blood of Jesus, but we have to apply it by faith, by trusting in what he did for us on the cross, by confession of sin, repentance, and then receiving his forgiveness. So one of the essential criteria for a vessel to be useful for God is that it must be clean. But the good news is that the blood of Jesus cleanses us from every sin. And people can change, people do change. That's God's business, changing lives. And he's always ready to forgive us and to give us another chance. Now the third key to being useful is that we've gotta be willing vessels. We need to have a heart that's willing to serve God. And I think that many of us would know from situations at home, at work, whatever, what a pain it is to have an unwilling worker, someone who moans and groans and doesn't want to do what they're asked. And we would have to be actually pretty desperate to use a vessel like that. So, you know, being, being useful includes being willing to work willing even to be interrupted or put out at times. When God created Adam, he gave him a job to do, but he also gave him a free will. And loving and serving God are voluntary. God doesn't force us, so we need to be ready and willing. Um, there's a verse in Nehemiah 3 and verse 5, and this is dealing with the rebuilding of the wall of Jerusalem, you know, way back in the Old Testament. The next section, that's of the wall, was repaired by the men of Tekoa, but their nobles would not put their shoulders to the work under their supervisors. Now, how awful to have that written about you. Everybody in Jerusalem, and even from some, of the, some from the surrounding areas, were doing their bit to get that wall rebuilt, except for these nobles of Tekoa, who, Tekoa, who somehow got the idea that they were exempt. Well, all it got them was just a clear record of their laziness. And in the Bible of all books, the one book that will last through all eternity. So to opt out of working like that was just to go right against what God was doing in their day. And the Bible has a lot to say about laziness and it's all bad, really bad. Okay, so moving on. If we want to be useful, another thing is that it is not helpful to think, I've got nothing, I can't do anything, I've got nothing to give, and all that kind of thing. Just make sure I can say this properly. Some Christians just don't recognize their usefulness because they have that mindset that they don't have any particular gifts or skills. You know, they have some kind of a problem that prevents them from doing things or they don't have anything to offer. I have nothing, they say, but that is not true. 2 Kings 4 verse 1 to 2. The wife of a man from the company of the prophets cried to Elisha, your servant, my husband, is dead. You know that he revered the Lord, but now his creditor is coming to take my two boys as his slaves. Elisha replied to her, How can I help you? Tell me, what do you have in your house? 
Your servant has nothing there at all, she said, except a little oil. Now, did you get the first words that came out of that widow's mouth? Your servant has nothing there at all. I have nothing. That's so typical, so common, and usually it is so untrue. Now, sure, that widow was in a real mess. She was in dire straits. She really was. But she did have that little bit of oil, and that was the key to her miracle. God multiplied her little bit of oil until there was enough for her to sell and sell, um, you know, sell all that oil. And she used the proceeds to pay off her debt and to keep her sons from being sold or taken into slavery. You know, how often do we look at ourselves or look at our situation and say, I have nothing? When we should be asking God, what do I have that you can use? What can I put into your hands? John 15 makes it very clear that when it comes to being useful to God, Jesus is the source, our source and our power. We are not left to our own resources. So how can we say, I have nothing when God is our source and our supply. You know, we, we know in the New Testament, one boy's lunch of five little bread rolls and two little fish placed in the hands of Jesus fed 5,000 men and the women and the children who were with them. So our little can go a long way when God gets involved. So don't think I've got nothing to give. You know, I can't do anything. I haven't got any skills or talents. We do. And the Bible makes it clear that we've all been given at least one talent, that we all have a contribution to make in the home, in the workplace, and in the church. Someone wrote this little paragraph, and I've made a few little changes to it. Noah got drunk. Abraham was too old. Jeremiah and Timothy were too young. Jacob was a liar and a deceiver. Leah was unattractive. Joseph was abused, falsely accused, you name it. Moses had a speech problem. Gideon was fearful. Samson was a womanizer. Rahab was a prostitute. David was an adulterer and a murderer. Elijah was suicidal. Jonah ran away from, from God. Naomi was a widow. Job went bankrupt. Peter denied he knew Jesus. The disciples fell asleep when they were supposed to be praying. Martha worried about everything. The Samaritan woman was divorced. Zacchaeus was too short. Paul was too religious. And Lazarus was dead. So what's our problem? Now, many of you will have heard Charlotte um, Gamble. She's a well-known pastor in England, great speaker, and Jody showed that clip of her at the last woman's service, and she was preaching from the treadmill. Boy, you've got to be fit to do that. But before she became a pastor, at one stage, she worked for a while in an employment agency. And one Friday, Friday evening, she was the last person left in the office, and she was just about to switch the phone over to the answer phone and just about to close close the office and she really wanted to get home and one of their major clients rang, desperate for someone to do a packing job the next morning and she just felt kind of annoyed because she wanted to get home and she knew that all the people that they normally called for that kind of job had been assigned somewhere else for the weekend. 
So she very quickly rummaged through the filing cabinet and came across a file of a young man that she had never contacted before. Now she was in a real hurry, so she didn't bother to read the info sheet. She just rang up this young man and said, you know, asked him if he could do that particular job in the morning. And very enthusiastically, he said, yes, he could do it, and yes, he would be there. The following week, she phoned the client to see how things had worked out. And the client said that young man had presented them with a real challenge. Oh, was he late, she asked. Did he work hard? And the client said, no, he wasn't late, and, and he was the best worker you've ever seen to us, but we were just shocked to see someone with his disabilities turning up to a packing job. You see, in her rush to get out of the office, Charlotte Gamble had not read the part of the file that mentioned that that young man had been born with no arms. And only then did she realize why his file had been left in the cabinet. However, that story does have a happy ending because that young man packaged twice as fast with his feet as other people did with their hands. And so this mistake turned into a great opportunity for him because the next time that firm was looking for a permanent employee, he got the job. We are all imperfect human beings and we all have problems and issues, but we all have a talent or talents. God has given each of us something to do, and it's really important in every sphere of life that we discover what it is and develop it and use it for the good of all. And when it says for the good of all, that includes us too. It's for our good, and God knows that. Bless you. Well, as the musicians come, I want us to do